everyone. Welcome back to Astrology and You. I'm Alice. And I'm Maxine. And in today's episode, we're answering your questions you wrote into us all about astrology basics. Yes, we're going back to the basics, hopefully to clear up any confusion um, with how to read certain parts of your birth chart or transit charts um, so we can move ahead and you can better follow along with our episodes. Yeah, and I really loved the questions that you guys wrote in. Actually, there were a ton of good ones. So we're trying to do more Q&A episodes on different topics. So if you ever have like a good topic in mind to recommend to us, let us know on Instagram. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we're always like, let's do a Q&A on relationship astrology. And I'm like, yeah. wait, we, did, we already did that like five times. One of our favorite topics. Like, yeah. just more. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, so before we get into the episode, what's our life update? Like, a lot's been going on astrologically. Still Mars retrograde. Um, oh my gosh, And yeah. we're recording this on November 9th. So the lunar eclipse in Taurus just happened yesterday on November 8th. Did you notice anything major? So I noticed with the Taurus lunar eclipse was in my 12th house and it was really interesting because I have a lot of planets in Taurus and Scorpio, but I definitely noticed that with it aspecting my Jupiter, I felt like I've just really learned to integrate so many of the lessons that I've had come up for me in recent years and I just feel so much more settled and yeah just a lot more trusting in my process and the timing of things and I have such a clear vision going forward in how I can share astrology more and in new ways so I'm so excited (laughs) that's nice you had Jupiter involved with an eclipse I'm excited when Mm -hmm. that happens for me next year when they go to Libra Aries but um I feel like that helps to balance out more of the stressful eclipse eclipse aspects Oh my gosh, yeah. And it definitely, it was so literal, actually. I'm just realizing this as we're talking, but I was thinking about how I want to share more about astrology, just like how I can share it more generously and reach more people and and have more free offers and stuff. So it's just very literal, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. But what about you, Alice? What did you notice? Nothing major, which I feel like is common with eclipses. Um, Sometimes it takes like a couple weeks or a couple months. And I Mm -hmm. definitely feel like because we were talking about this before we started recording, but like the ongoing Mars retrograde probably is slowing down maybe what you would normally see with an eclipse. Mm -hmm. So probably won't be seeing major 10th house lunar eclipse themes until that Mars retrograde lifts January 12th. Um, But I did notice, I mean, I do have a lot of work projects going on this week. Like I'm doing an event for Tori Birch tomorrow. Um, I'm shooting with the shoe brand Margo on Friday. So there is like bigger type work stuff than I've been doing recently going on right now. Also, yesterday, I like sat down and like wrote out these like bigger work projects I want to accomplish over the next like five years, like wrote out outlines for them. So I didn't even think about that. But that is very much like a lunar eclipse in the 10th house. Like what is the long term picture with the career? Yes. Like where do you want to go and kind of charting that out more intentionally? That's such a great way to use those. Yes. So yeah, I'm glad nothing insane happened with the eclipses. Maybe it's yet to be seen, but hopefully it stays calm like this. Yeah, and I love that you brought that up, Alice, because um, we've mentioned this so much, but definitely eclipses, they, like, if you're noticing, listening to this, like nothing huge happened for you, just knowing that it can come in a more delayed way, especially with this eclipse aspecting Saturn. So 
don't worry. It's like, it's not like you're missing your chance for change in those areas of life. Yeah, definitely. I always notice that the eclipses are like really triggered when the Mar when transit Mars lines up with the North and South nodes. And it's not going to mm-hmm. do that for a while until it gets to like, yeah, yeah it doesn't because it's in Gemini right now. It's an immutable mm-hmm. sign. So it's not even like lined up with the nodes, but maybe there'll be something else. Don't worry about that, basically. <laughs> yeah. <I will. laughs> um, but yeah, and I think I think that's kind of all we had for updates. Alice, was there anything else you wanted to add? No. Um, but yeah, this episode is on birth chart basics. So again, we're yeah. promoting our course. We have a whole course on mastering birth charts. Um, we'll put it in the show notes, but a lot of people have taken it really good feedback on it and you really learn like how to read your chart in depth and then you can move forward if you want to be an astrologer and read other people's chart or you just want to practice on your friends it just gives you that good solid base for astrology which you can then build upon and learn how to predict later on or um, just understand more complicated astrology from there on out. Mm, Yeah and I would definitely add that these aren't just oh, you'll kind of learn the basics courses. It definitely takes you in a deep dive into how to read and master reading a birth chart. So you really get a lot of examples and we get into some fun things like the nodes and Chiron and fun placements like that. Um, Yeah, so we'll put the link to that in the show notes and yeah, let's get into the episode. Okay, all right, so we have about nine questions. So we're just gonna go right through them and we're not gonna get into them super in depth. I just wanna say that at the start because sometimes we like linger so much there, but um, okay, should I read question one? Yes, read question one. Okay, so this person wrote in to say, after learning about an element in your chart that does not resonate 100%, but maybe is an aspect you're supposed to grow into, what is a good way to incorporate that knowledge into your life? For example, I really resonate with my Gemini sun and Leo moon, but I'm also a Capricorn rising and everything I've read about Capricorn rising, motivated by work ethic, ambitious, less outwardly enthusiastic, personality serious, etc., that doesn't seem to apply. What to do with this information? Okay, yeah, so there's a few different ways I would like delineate this chart um, and like explanations for why you may not feel like a Capricorn rising. First, this probably isn't the case for you, but the rising sign is very time sensitive. So like you may want to check to see if like if you're a zero or one degree Capricorn rising or like a 28, 29 degree Capricorn rising, do you have your birth time right? Um, if you know for certain that you have your birth time right, then you get into looking at like other elements that might affect it. Like what would you also look at, Maxine? I I just feel like oftentimes when people say they don't resonate with some part of their chart, especially when like Capricorn that gets kind of dragged through the dirt, first making sure that you're not just taking kind of surface level interpretations of those signs. Yeah, exactly. It's like, are you just reading buzzwords around the signs or like memes about it? And that's not making sense. Like you did mention good ones about maybe how you don't feel the ambitious work ethic side of Capricorn Mm -hmm. or you don't feel more emotionally self-contained, but also like other Capricorn traits 
especially when it's on your rising sign, which is your whole first house is like being very hard on yourself or Mm -hmm. not sure of what you want. Like definitely not only with Capricorn rising, but any house ruled by Capricorn in your chart kind of gets a delayed start in life until that Saturn return hits and you become more confident in that area. So it could be that you're not so sure of what you want for yourself with that Capricorn first house, um, or maybe not so confident in who you are and you feel like you're always looking to other people maybe for direction. So that might affect that ambitious, I know what I want, I'm going to work hard. And maybe it's like you don't actually know what you want and you kind of feel like, um, I don't know, you need more direction from other people. Mm, Yeah. And also to your rising sign often is how other people see you. So like this person writing in, they're a Gemini sun and a Leo moon. Those, you know, that's an air sign and a fire sign. They're very different than Capricorn. They're much more playful, let's say, than Capricorn. So even if this person identifies with those more playful, let's say, placements, their rising sign is that filter for how others see you. And Capricorn might make it so you do come across a little bit more reserved when you first meet someone. So, I mean, I can speak to this as having kind of the reverse where I feel like me, myself, I am more serious and grounded, but as a Gemini rising, people often tell me, oh, you're so like bubbly and, you know, friendly. And I am, but when people really get to know me, they see this whole other side to me. Yeah, I would also say another thing to take into consideration is, are there other planets placed in your first house um, near your ascendant that are affecting that Capricorn rising? So, or any other rising sign for that matter. So a lot of people, like, let's say, I don't know what year you're born in, but like, let's say you're born in the late 80s up until like 95. Do you have you would automatically have Uranus and Neptune also in Capricorn. So if that's you and you have Uranus and Neptune in your first house, possibly close to your ascendant line of the degree, um, that would give you those Uranian and Neptunian type traits of being like the Neptune influence would kind of give you a Pisces rising vibe of being like very sensitive to other people's energy or like being very giving and compassionate or artistic, but kind of not... I don't know, not being sure of totally what you want for yourself again. And then Uranus would give you this like feeling of, I need to be rebellious. I need to go off and do my own thing and be more independent and be different or quirky somehow. Exactly. And I think also, you know, as an example, I know Ariana Grande, she's a Capricorn rising and her chart's really interesting because she has Uranus and Neptune exact the degree, all at 20 degrees, her ascendant. So you can see how if you just think of her, you know, your ascendant is how that person first appears to you off the bat. I wouldn't, you know, it's just important to see how that will also filter how that person expresses themselves. And yeah, definitely Uranus and Neptune in the first house or any other planets there will really make a big change. Yeah, one last point to check um, where the ruler of your rising sign is placed, uh, because maybe that will also influence like how you feel about yourself, what's important to you. So in the case of a Capricorn rising, the ruler of your chart is Saturn. What sign is Saturn placed in? What house is it placed in? That area of life might be more meaningful to you. Let's say if it's not in Capricorn, like let's say if it's in Pisces or something, maybe Mm -hmm. you want to lean into like more Pisces and that would be like the third house of your chart. Um, And third house themes are really like where you feel more comfortable with. 
Last thing I'd like to share too is oftentimes when I'll get people like in readings saying they don't identify with a part of a chart and they've already listened to all the things we mentioned, it can just be helpful to really open your mind and get curious about how maybe you've been told that you're not someone who has a strong work ethic or super ambitious, but maybe there is a part of you that you know, expresses that in a different way than what it looks like. Like, for example, Alice, you're a Leo rising, but often I'll get Mm -hmm. people who are Leo risings and they're like, oh, I'm not creative, but they are creative. They're just maybe more creative in a non-traditional way. Like maybe they don't like painting, but, you know, it can come up in a different way. So I think especially for the rising sign, it's important to be open to trying to work with that and express that in some way that feels like it really feels authentic to you because your rising sign when you lean into that gives you so much confidence that's such a good point to make I was literally going to bring up that same (laughs) rising example because I feel like I get a lot of people saying that like I don't feel creative but all the Leo traits say I should be creative but it's like maybe you're just creative with like how you get dressed or um I don't know like how you express yourself Yeah, or problem solving or thinking really innovatively or something like that. So yeah, I think kind of taking these signs out of their boxes, especially ones like Capricorn, which I feel like people make it sound like so (laughs) fuddy-duddy, like to be a Capricorn rising and it's really not. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so second question, um, the person says, I was curious if it means anything to have your rising and sun sign be sister signs. For example, I have a Taurus rising and a Scorpio sun. Okay, so sister signs, I don't use that term, but it does mean when your signs are opposite to one another. So I think I would just use like, what does it mean when you have your sun sign and the opposite sign of your rising? Yeah, and maybe just to list those out. So that would be Aries, Libra, Taurus, Scorpio, Gemini and Sagittarius, Cancer and Capricorn, Leo and Aquarius, and then Virgo and Pisces. Yes. So when you have your sun sign and the sign opposite to your rising, it just means your sun is in the seventh house of your chart. So where you're finding your identity is through seventh house themes of partnership, relationships. Like I have my son in the seventh house. I'm at Leo rising with an Aquarius sun. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're always in a relationship or um, you, yeah, like you're a huge dater. Like I wasn't in a relationship until I was like 28 years old. So it was like a huge chunk of my life. I'm single, but relationships are a point of interest for me. Like I love observing how other people find love or dynamics between two people. I would say another big point of this is comparing yourself to people a lot like it's not necessarily a bad thing it's often like looking at what other people have or advice you're giving getting from other people in close one-on-one situations informs like you having a greater sense of identity yourself so it's through other people that you're learning more about yourself Mm, I love that. And I think it is really important too when you have those opposite signs to see the commonalities between those opposing signs because in astrology, opposite signs actually have a lot more in common than you think because you know, sister signs, quote unquote, or opposite signs, they're going to be of the same modality, just a different element, but those elements would be compatible. So like basically saying, you know, Taurus and Scorpio, they're water and earth signs and they're both fixed signs. So they both have similar, like security is very important to them, having some degree of control. 
those things might be even stronger in your personality if you have your rising and sun in that. Mm -hmm. I would also say like placements in the seventh house and like the sign on the seventh house in general is often not like you aren't consciously thinking of yourself having those traits. So in this case, it might be a little harder to tap into your sun sign traits because it's, it tends to be like parts of yourself you project onto other people and they like reflect back to you. So like I would say up until a certain age, I wasn't really comfortable embodying the Aquarius traits myself, even though, even though my son is an Aquarius, it would be like, I would attract partners who would have these like Aquarius traits and they would mirror that back onto me. So, um, I would say maybe it just like takes a longer time getting comfortable with like who you are and like what makes you unique. Yeah. And also the one other thing I wanted to add is with the sun in the seventh house, that's also an area that you're learning to be more comfortable in. So like, usually I do see people with that being in relationships later in life, even though they are really interested in relationships, it's learning not necessarily later in life, but they're learning to get more comfortable in one-on-one close relationships. And it's it's really important that you learn that you can still be in a relationship without losing your sense of self. So that's something to navigate as just a life lesson. Yeah, yeah. Like not looking for someone else to give you, like to entirely like inform your sense of self, but rather like taking tips and like learning from relationships. Yeah. And one last thing I'm actually curious, Alice, you can, mm-hmm. you can say if you agree, but I noticed these people really need to have a high degree of respect in their partner. Like they need to be so proud of their partner or like be like, yeah, I'm excited to call them my partner. Yeah, definitely. Like the second <laughs> I used to like think I wanted to date a certain type of guy, but then I would see them in situations where I realized like they weren't really ambitious or they didn't have a job I was proud of or a career. I know that's kind of like service level, but it was an immediate turnoff. I was like, I can't brag about this person. They don't have like a good career. They aren't motivated and ambitious. And that's like so important to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So question number three, are there indicators in the chart that would mean that someone isn't going to believe in astrology and the occult? I feel like people in my life are either really into it or don't believe in it at all. So basically this question is asking about skeptics in astrology or people who might have just tending toward a more skeptical nature. Yeah. And what the placements we're about to say, it definitely doesn't mean like if you have these placements in your chart, you don't believe in astrology, but among skeptics, I would say these are the most common placements I see. And Mm -hmm. to start off um, Saturn in the ninth house, that's like so common. I just feel like it's maybe harder to be open-minded to different belief systems or it takes a while to maybe come into exploring your own beliefs. Like maybe there was a set of beliefs that were impressed upon you growing up and you feel like that is like what you have to believe in. So maybe it's harder to like experiment and kind of figure out your own spirituality or your own core beliefs on the world. Yeah, it's almost like there's some blocks there when it comes to wanting to explore beliefs but at the same time being very I would say realistic too and in a more positive and like spin of that so just really wanting to the whatever they believe really wanting to feel into it for themselves and see how it lines up and very just rigid about what they believe and what they don't mm-hmm. yeah exactly like kind of being critical of maybe beliefs that differ from themselves too 
Mm -hmm. I actually gave a reading once to someone. This is so cool, Alice. Um, She had her Saturn in the ninth house and grew up super, super religious, like very strict. Mm -hmm. And when she had an activation of her Saturn, that was actually when she allowed herself to like start exploring outside of her religion, like things like astrology that led her to the reading and things. So it can be something that literally shows unlocking that later in life too. I love that. You had also mentioned seeing Saturn in the 12th with this. I definitely mm-hmm. think that because 12th house is another house of the chart that has to do with like um, spirituality and like looking within and maybe finding like alternative ways to, I don't know, calm your mind and body. It's similar to the ninth house like we talked about with having to do with spirituality, maybe feeling there's some blocks there or just being really realistic almost when it comes to like what do I believe it has to be logical or something Mm -hmm. but yeah I definitely see that a lot in people's charts who just have Saturn in the 12th and it kind of is something where they have to feel into it for themselves or I notice it more so where people are fearful of other opinions like they're just very quick to block it yeah I'm thinking a guy I dated right before it did not get far. It was like two dates. And then I was like, no, um, he had Saturn and he had Saturn in the 12th house. And he, I don't even know I entertained a date with this guy. Cause he was like, astrology is not real. And I'm like, well, that's my career. That's my identity. Um, and yeah. he, had Saturn in, he had Saturn in the 12th house. Yes. Yeah. So I think Saturn in the 12th is kind of difficult. I have seen this in people who, you know, later in life, like I said, just are more open to things of the spiritual nature. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not for everyone, but definitely that can be something that creates limits there. I would also say like heavy earth sign placements, I notice, especially if their moon is in an earth sign. I'm not particularly sure why Mm -hmm. it's the moon, but like a moon in Virgo, Capricorn, Taurus, doesn't mean everyone with their moon in earth signs is going to be a skeptical. Like I know Mm -hmm. people with these moon signs that love astrology, Um, but I tend to notice this. Why do you think that is? Oh my gosh, the moon is so much about intuition. I feel like it's how do they trust that and what are they open to? They have to feel this sense of groundedness in what they feel and believe. So it's like, show me the proof a little bit. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, they have to see to believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally, I would say Scorpio, like surprisingly Scorpio placements um, are skeptical of astrology, but they can also be the people that are most interested in astrology because they love psychology, human behavior. And I feel like astrology has elements of that. But I feel like when they just know the sun sign meme stuff, they're really not interested until they get to know astrology on their own terms. And and they've seen how transits might play out in their chart um, and just seeing like how it works for them specifically. And this is describing me (laughs) because Mm. this was honestly how I felt. I have a Scorpio stellium, my moon's there. And when I started learning about astrology, it wasn't until I really dug deep into it that I was just pushed over the edge and went down the rabbit hole. (laughs) And then I think that's where Scorpios really thrive if you have a lot of Scorpio placements it's like okay this generic kind of stuff what is this and people who don't understand astrology based on that I totally get it because it's like okay that's also generic or pop astrology but yeah Scorpio placements you need to dive deeper and then 
And then it switches from skeptic to being like, oh my gosh, how do they know this about me? (laughs) Yeah. And that goes for like everything in a Scorpio's life or a Scorpio placement's life. Um, They, they kind of have to do the research on their own and like really find the truth in it for them, for themselves, rather than like having people just tell them something. They never take anything at face value. Never. No, I definitely would say I'm a, I have a lot of Scorpio placements, so I can say this, but trust issues there of being like, okay, I need to actually figure this out for myself or really see where it comes from first. And on the back end of that question, we got another one about like, what is your advice for responding to people in your life who react in skeptical ways when they find out you're astrologers or just into astrology? Like what's the Mm -hmm. ideal way to deal with someone who won't take it seriously, like a close friend or a family member? I am not the best person to ask about this (laughs) because I don't keep a lot of people, I don't keep people in my life that don't like take astrology seriously or believe in it because it's like, that's my life. Like, if you don't believe in it, I don't need you in my life. Mm, yeah. I, I I love how just direct you are with that, Alice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think this has been this honestly I could talk forever about this question because I definitely have a lot of people in my life who I mean, I come from a small rural town in Wisconsin, (laughs) so it's like Mm -hmm. everyone, you know, I have people like even who think it's like a sin or, oh my gosh, is that bad or evil? So yeah, I think it's really just understanding that I don't need other people to believe in astrology for it to be true for me. Yeah, exactly. I Yeah, I feel like I don't even like worry about so much about what other people think about it I mean I am lucky even though I grew up in Tennessee like where Mm -hmm. religion's a big thing my both of my parents um they're divorced but like my dad and my stepmom and my mom and my stepdad they're both like very open-minded even though they grew up like Christian and religious it's that doesn't mean they don't like accept astrology like they're very encouraging and they definitely believe in it now because of me doing astrology full-time It is interesting because even my partner, he's very grounded in his beliefs. And I think it's just so cool now how much he believes in it in terms of he's Mm -hmm. seen me predict things and he's like, how could have you known, (laughs) you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, it eventually people who actually are open-minded in some way will just see that it is real, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I went to a past life regressionist one time and he was explaining to me how there's like these invisible threads that tie you to people in your life and like Mm -hmm. how when one person in the family or the friend group um, is kind of like having an open mind and exploring a different form of spirituality, it eventually like catches on to the other people when they like kind of Mm -hmm. see the transformation. It's like those, maybe it's those invisible threads that connect you. And they, as a result of you being open and excited about astrology, they then in turn eventually get on board. Yeah, I love that, Alice. And I think, you know, to to this question, if someone is in your life who's really close to you and you really want them to at least respect it, I think that's a conversation to be had about, you know, you don't have to share the same beliefs, just like you don't have to share the same religion with someone to just respect their beliefs and, you know, not... Mm -hmm make fun of it so I think that's one thing and the other thing I would say is especially to someone who's very rationally minded it's just whether or not someone believes in astrology you can't 
the question is more so is it helpful does it help you to contemplate yourself does it help you to see what else is possible for you does it give you distance on your own problems and perspectives so really the question to me is not like is it real is it helpful yeah exactly like how has it helped you yeah um Okay, so the next question is, your last episode was great, but I was really confused on how you know where to find and read where transits are going through in your chart. So our last episode was on like positive transits for growth and expansion. Um, So we have specific websites we use to look at transits. I definitely recommend astro-seek. We'll put the links to the show notes. We'll put the links to these websites in the show notes and then also astro.com. And like on both of these websites, there's opportunities to, or there's options to look at birth chart plus transits or just transit chart. And that's where you see where the planets currently are in the sky in relationship to your birth chart. Yeah. And what's great about both of those, why we're sharing them is they are free and they're really accurate. So definitely go to those two websites to check out your transits. Okay, and then we have another question that says, I'm having trouble grasping transits. Can you briefly explain the difference between birth chart transit readings, interpretations versus current sky transit readings? So they gave the example of like, what does it mean when like sun and Venus are conjunct currently in the sky, like transit sun and Venus versus when the transit sun is conjunct my natal Venus? Do you want to take that away? Yeah, I think... The important thing to know is they operate differently. So if you have, for example, the sun and Venus in transit, actually that's happening right now, everyone might be feeling that to some degree. So it might manifest as just generally feeling more at ease or calm, maybe artistic, relationship-oriented, compromising. Like It can show up that way for the collective versus when the sun were to connect conjunct your birth chart venus that's going to be much more personal that's happening only to you or anyone else who has their venus at that degree yeah so like like you said like right now we could say that venus mercury and the sun are all in a conjunction because they're all within like a few degrees of each other in scorpio like everyone is feeling in the world is feeling all those planets close to one another and it's resulting in like energy going on right now um in like world events But Mm -hmm. like, let's say you also had your natal Venus in Scorpio, like you had Scorpio Venus in your birth chart, then that would mean the sun in Scorpio is probably at a conjunction with your natal Venus right now. But if you have your Venus in another sign like Pisces or Capricorn, then you're not going to have the conjunction to your natal Venus until Capricorn or Pisces season when the sun gets to your Venus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just like as an obvious example to that, you might be when the sun is lighting up your natal Venus, you might be more attuned to relationships in a more obvious, concrete way. So that might manifest as going on a date or maybe you're spending a lot of money or you're getting a raise like that part of, you know, so it can basically take those themes when the sun and Venus in your natal chart are connected. It just triggers you to kind of act more specifically and it usually is more obvious in its manifestations yeah it's more personal to you like you'll definitely still feel sun and venus conjunct in the house um like when those are just transit conjunct like right now they're in scorpio it's like what is the scorpio house of your chart and how is that getting activated with the sun and venus energy but it is different when it's like a transit planet 
conjuncting a natal planet because it awakens kind of the potential of that natal planet and brings its significations more to the forefront. Can I use you as an example, Alice? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I was just going to say like right now with that conjunction in the sky for everyone with the sun and Venus, that's in your house of family. So that's going Mm -hmm. to be, okay, relationship oriented with family versus your Venus is in the eighth house, which is more intimate relationships. So when the sun makes its way to Pisces for you in your eighth house, you're probably going to be more focused on relationships with Jesse. Or like venus themes of like money and finances like tied into the eighth house mm-hmm. okay yeah so ho- hopefully that explains that it's kind of hard to explain this without visuals so yeah yeah just looking at a transit chart overlaid with your birth chart and seeing when you see those transit planets meet up like the sun and venus meeting up which happened exactly on october 23rd so like going back and seeing the visual for that versus then moving ahead with transits and seeing what time frame um, the sun meets up with your natal Venus. So go check that out. And next question. So we're on number seven now. What does it mean when your menstrual cycle aligns with the full moon? I love this question. <laughs> so I know it's much. so fun. I love it. So the first thing to know is that the lunar cycle matches with your menstrual cycle. So just from a new moon to new moon, that takes 29 and a half days the average period is 29.3 days and actually like even if you You, looked oh what I was gonna say you really know the specifics on this I had no idea (laughs) it was like 29.3 but go on yeah yeah I mean like the average period it can be like anywhere from usually like 25 days to 35 days I've read so much about this um but it's just cool to see how that lines up so specifically with the average period or even like the exact moon to the exact degree is 28 days about. So long story short, there is that connection. Yeah, I noticed like my period will um, align with different moon phases throughout the year. It's like not always with the full moon. Like right now it is with the full moon, but six months ago it was with the new moon so it'll kind of like move backwards and the way I like to think of it I think we differ here but the way I like to think of it is like how are those when my period is aligned with the full moon like now how are the full moon meanings coming up in like where I am currently in life right now like am I at a period of like a ton of activity and like culmination of stuff coming together um I feel like that does resonate with what I'm doing right now versus like when it's at a new moon or in a waxing moon, maybe it's like, I'm kind of at a new start. I'm not sure what's happening yet, but I'm putting a lot of energy and like building something. Mm, I I feel like that kind of resonates like with what Mm -hmm. I feel too. And I mean, at the end of the day, it really is something where there's so many different thoughts on it. So it's not like there's one right or wrong. Um, But yeah, usually for me, I like to think the new moon has a lot to do with if you bleed, if your bleed starts that day, it would be about creativity or it signals there's a new beginning. Those themes of that new moon coming into your life a little bit more versus if you bleed on the full moon, if that's your start day, then it would be a lot more about needing to release, needing to kind of slow down and integrate and step more into the feminine. So that's usually how I see it come up. But originally back in the day before there was even artificial light the it was it was more typical that women as a whole bled together on the new moon and then they ovulated with the full moon so 
Mm, it is kind of interesting to see that too. When I was at the astrology conference back in May, I took like a whole course or a class on um, fertility astrology. And it was really interesting with like getting pregnant, timing that with mm-hmm. um, not necessarily like the new moon and the full moon, but the lunar phase. The, this gets into a whole other topic I don't want to get into right now, <laughs> yeah. but I just wanted to draw the parallel that it's like so important to track like the relationship between the sun and moon because it can time like when you get pregnant and stuff like that. Yeah, it has so much to do with your fertility and it it's really cool because just as the moon has those phases, it doesn't it's not always like you can exactly track the lunar cycle with the menstrual cycle because there's different phases of the menstrual cycle that might not line up with the full moon or the new moon, but it is cool to tra- track your own cycle and see where you're at not only with the lunar cycle and what that means, like if it's a time to start fresh or to reflect, but also look at your menstrual cycle, where you're at in that and what that means and how it's supporting you. Yes. Okay. Moving on to our last two questions. Hmm. Um, question number eight for synastry, you mentioned it's important for moons to be compatible. If they aren't, how does one mitigate that? In other words, is a couple doomed? So, um, I say there's like a lot of ways for moon signs to be compatible. It may not be entirely like what you think is compatible. So like the way I would look at compatible moon signs in a couple or like great placements to have the moon in in synastry would be if they're in the exact same sign as one another. It's like both having moons in Capricorn. If they're in the same sign element. So having moons both in like earth signs or both in water signs. Or even if they're in the same modality, that's a bit more tense, but it still definitely works. Like a moon, both of your moons are in fixed signs or both of your moons are in mutable or cardinal signs. Um, And then also moons touching a certain angle or planet in the other person's chart. So like your moon on top of your partner's sun or their Venus. Um, A huge one I see with couples is like moon on the ascendant or the descendant so first or seventh house or the tenth and fourth house fourth house overlays with the moon are like so um good to have in Mm -hmm. synastry charts yeah there's definitely I mean oh my gosh this could be an entire podcast episode too (laughs) but like just on the moon placement alone um what would I add there I mean I I would say like to answer her question too if you don't have these placements you are not doomed by any means and I think I mean it does complicate things in a way because but if you're able to just be aware of learning more in depth about the other person's moon to see okay what do they need emotionally to feel good in a relationship what is kind of their love language how do they need to be nurtured what does security look like to them in a relationship like really learning about the moon really helps to see okay how does my moon and my birth chart compare and contrast with my partners and how can we make sure that we're really nurturing both and not just you know looking at your own moon it really is if in your if you're in a partnership so important to just at least learn more about what they need as well yeah just going over that like nothing in a synastry chart or chart comparison is means a couple is doomed astrology does not tell that so get that notion out of your head it just means if you do have placements you think are a bit trickier with a partner there may just be more like effort that needs to be put in there to understand where each other's coming from 
Yeah, I love that, Alice. And I would say I think I know this person's question is coming because I posted something about on astrology about how important moon synastry is. I would just say it's a lot more complicated than we can even explain right now on the podcast. Like even doing a whole synastry reading with a partner just can tell you so many other mitigating factors or Mm -hmm. give you a lot more insight. So if you were curious about that, that might be something to look into. Yes. Okay. Final question. Um, Person says, I've gotten a lot. I understand a lot of the basics, but I still have no idea what the angles and degrees represent in my chart. So just to go over this quickly, um, I'll get into degrees and then do you want to touch on angles? Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So degrees, every planet in your chart is going to fall between one to 30 degrees of a sign. So you'll see a number between one and 30 next to that planet. I think it's in like the top right hand corner. Um, degrees are just important. I I would say they're the most important when you're looking at like the aspects a planet makes to another planet in your chart. And the degree tells you how close that aspect is. So if you see that your sun is opposite to your Mars in your birth chart. You're going to look at like, how close is that aspect? My sun's at 12 degrees of Scorpio, whereas my Mars is at 15 degrees of Taurus. So like, that's a pretty close aspect because the degrees are only three apart. Um, I would also say degrees are really important when you bring in transit charts. So to see when a transit exactly activates a planet or an angle in your chart to the degree that's going to be the period of time when that transit is the most intensely felt. So like Uranus is going through Taurus for eight years from 2018 till 2026. Um, It all depends on like what degrees are your Taurus planets for when that Uranus through Taurus transit activates your Taurus planets. Exactly. So I mean, I would say with degrees, that's perfect for like an intro to it because there's a lot Mm -hmm. you could get into there. But essentially just knowing those numbers in your birth chart all have a meaning. And most when you're an intro to degrees would just be like Alice said, just noting how close an aspect is, noting if a transit is going to be more potent at a certain time or not. Yes. Um, And then angles... Um, those are thought of as like sensitive points within the chart and they really embody like the themes that are already present in like the first, the fourth, the seventh, and the 10th houses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just to rattle them off for you. So first you have the AC or the ascendant that's going to be in the first house. And that has a lot to do with the self, your body, your appearance, your impression, There's a lot of more we could get into, but just kind of thinking about your ascendant as the first house, really as a sensitive degree. If you're getting started, that's a great way to think of it. Yeah, the ascendant is also known as your rising sign. So you can think of it as that way too. And then always opposite to the ascendant is the descendant. It's not labeled on websites as like astro.com, but it is like the DC and that is just a sensitive angle or point in the seventh house of relationships. So um, it just kind of is like relationship activity is felt a lot more strongly with transits to the descendant. Mm-hmm. And then you have like the ace, the MC and the IC, so the midheaven and um, the IC opposite. So the midheaven is not always in the 10th house, but frequently in the 10th house, sometimes the ninth or the 11th or 
rare cases like the 12th or the 8th. And that just informs like what are your core career interests, um, what's your life calling, how do you appear in the public eye. And then the IC is definitely more hidden part of your chart, which can be found in like the third, fourth, or fifth, or sometimes like second or sixth. Very rare though. Um, And that kind of describes like just more sensitive themes around like home and family um, and ancestry too. Like sometimes it's not even like your current life you're looking at with the IC. It's like, what are the patterns that keep being repeated throughout like your whole family history? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's so much more we could get into this, but like maybe yeah. just to simplify, like to say again, all in order, like really simply. So the AC is about yourself, DC relationships, MC career, IC home and family. Obviously, there's yeah. a lot more we could get into, but just knowing like they are sensitive points. So especially important to know if you have planets natally falling near there in your birth chart, those will be emphasized and also transits that approach those points or eclipses that just happen, like so key to see if they fall near them. Yeah, I would say the transits are so important to watch when they cross over the angles in your chart because they just like amplify the themes of like self, home, relationships, career, whichever angle it might be. Mm -hmm. And especially using whole signs, sometimes they can fall outside if you're looking at the IC or MC of the fourth and 10th house, but it carries that theme into the other house so exactly okay Okay, I think that was a good intro (laughs) yeah yeah that takes us to the end of our Q&A episode um I hope you guys got a lot out of this and yeah that's it yes thanks for listening and maybe if you want to follow us on Instagram my username is or handle I don't really know what you call it but (laughs) but mine's Maxine Luthia so M-A-X-I-N-E-L-U-Z-I-A and I'm at Stock Alice, S-T-A-L-K-A-L-I-C-E. Okay, beautiful. And we'll put all the links below for those websites, for our courses and everything. And yeah, hopefully you got a lot out of this. Bye, guys. Bye.